Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. We are officially into the month of December, and we have plenty of ground to cover here today on AOA, Agriculture of America, as we get well into the final month of the year now. Hard to believe that 2023 is almost at its close. We're going to talk markets in just a second with Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart, as we look at a uh, relatively quiet market trade to start off the day, but uh, there are a few things that uh, Darren's keeping his eye on. We're going to ask him about that coming up here in a second. We'll also get a look at weather with John Baranek from DTN coming up in segment two. A fairly mild weekend we saw and looking like a fairly quiet weekend here to start things off uh, this week, but then that could change maybe this weekend. We're going to talk about that as well as a look at South American weather coming up. And then also at the uh, bottom of the hour in segment three, we're going to talk about farm income and land values and much more with David Widmar, economist at Agricultural Economic Insights. And then we'll wrap the show with a look at news headlines. Well, let's dive into the market trade. As I mentioned, a little quiet in the grains, but a few things of note uh, that we are watching. Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart, joins us here today on the show. And Darren, thanks so much for being back with us. Quite an interesting uh, look at the markets here as uh, corn, soybeans, quiet, but I know soybeans, we broke through a pretty key support level it looked like overnight, Darren. Yeah, you know, it's... It, it's it, you're, you're exactly right. It, it's a quiet morning. Uh, and now we'll see how this we'll see if, if anything builds here over the course of the day. Uh, it was interesting to see January soybeans. They've closed lower three weeks in a row. Uh, you know, if we if we base this on a Benjamin Franklin fish analogy, you know, markets like uh, guests and fish tend to stink after three, in this case, weeks of moving against the trend. So, you know, it, it, it's trend, the trend on its weekly chart, its seasonal patterns are still, are still up. So we've had three weeks down. Let's see if it finds some buyers in here. We saw some export sales made. That's not a huge deal. We, we know those go on this time of year. Uh, but what's going to be interesting is if funds step back in. The la- uh, last Friday CFTC report showed non-commercial traders continuing to liquidate some of their uh, net long futures position in soybeans as of last Tuesday. They'd and they'd gotten out of about 23,100 contracts. So, you know, they, they have been liquidating. We've seen some pressure coming from the commercial side. We, You're right. We were coming down to some key support. We've coming down to some time frames where if the buyers are going to step back in, this would be the time. This would be the place. Now we have to see if they will. Darren, uh, speaking of the CFTC data, you uh, published a great article early Monday morning on the Bar Chart website looking at CFTC commercial data and what it tells us about corn fundamentals. And I'd love for you to just share a little bit of uh, your perspective here as we look at this corn market that I think a lot of folks have just been watching it just churn around and do, you know, really next to nothing here. But what what are you seeing with that CFTC data here? Yeah, the bottom line is if we if we're looking at commercial positions in the CFTC reports, what does it tell us? Absolutely nothing, because commercial traders are hedgers. They're going to have hedge positions. If we want to know bullish or bearish or trends and these sorts of things, we have to look at the non-commercial. And in that, and what I've always done is I look at the legacy futures only. I know everybody likes to talk about disaggregated futures and options. I think it makes them feel smarter to do that. Uh, really, all we need to know is who's buying futures and who's selling, and that's it. 
Uh, and, and it's not necessarily the commercial side, it's the non-commercial side. If we want to understand fundamentals, it comes back to what I've talked about for decades. We have to look at basis. We have to look at spreads. Here we see commercials have actually been selling. And this all came about because we can see on the commercial CFTC chart that commercial side has been adding, has been, has been buying, but it hasn't had any effect on the market. So again, this is just hedge positions being put in place, taken off, whatever the case might be. Uh, what really interests me when it comes to fundamentals is how are these spreads reacting? We're seeing carry strengthen ever so slightly, meaning that there's plenty of supplies to meet demand. As we rolled from the December futures contract to March, national average basis is now below its previous five-year low weekly closes. Uh, that's a bearish development. So we can see outside of using CFTC numbers that don't have any effect on, on, on our commercial read. But we can see with real fundamental reads that the commercial side's growing a bit more bearish uh, here in the corn market, at least over the, over the course of November. Do we feel like there's a, a risk of, as you look at all the charts and look at all this different uh, data and analysis, is there a, a potential for a pretty big downside risk here in, in corn and, and soybeans especially, Darren? Fundamentally in corn, I'd say yes. And that comes back to if we watch that cash index and we compare it to what it did between 2010 and 2014, since 2020, that same four-year pattern, uh, we're seeing a very similar move. And so fundamentally, it looks like corn could continue to come under pressure. From a, if, if we look at the CFTC and we look at the non-commercial position, this group, uh, the funds add, the funds added 33,140 contracts to their net short, putting it at 157,000. Uh, this was the largest net short position since the last week of June 2020. So here we've got the flip side of the coin. Even if fundamentals are not bullish and not, and the funds just want to you know cover some of that short position here, short term, intermediate term, whatever the case might be over the course of the winter, that opens the door to a potential rally. This fund short position is actually the most bullish factor for corn at this time. Fundamentally, not much going on. Fun, but from a funds point of view, from a technical point of view, we could see the market try to rally. I want to step to the outside markets as well here, Darren. Gold, uh, some uh, volatility mm -hmm. happening there to start off the week. What exactly are we seeing in gold right now? Yeah, this. I mean, I kind of made a joke on on social media. This is one of the. This is what. This is a, the prototypical golden spike because overnight we saw the DEES contract get to a high of. Uh, I can't remember right off the top of my head. We we saw the DEES contract get to a. Excuse me, the Fed contract get to a high of uh, 2,152, a new all-time high. And right now it's at 2,069. So it's lost almost $100 just over the course of, of, uh, of Monday morning. So I haven't seen any news. What I have seen is that the situation in, uh, in, the, East, in the Middle East is actually getting worse. That should be providing support to both gold and, uh, and crude oil. The kind of the chatter in the market at this point is that all of a sudden, regardless of what was talked about last week, it sounds like now, uh, rate cuts are going to be pushed back, but we knew that anyway, and I'll be talking mm -hmm. about that later this week. Darren, before we let you go, any other final thoughts, anything else you're keeping an eye on in this uh, market trade to start the week? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the livestock markets as both the cash live cattle and cash feeder cattle indexes broke through four-month lows uh, just at the end of November and then to finish off last week on, in, in, in the red. So, uh, you know, we have to see if some buyers step back into that market. If not, you know, there is a lot of room underneath both of those markets for, uh, to, to move lower. 
Darren, always appreciate the time and the insight here with us on AOA. And uh, thanks again for joining us. Have a fantastic week, sir, and we will talk to you again next week. Thank you, Jesse. Really appreciate you having me on again. Great stuff there with Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart, joining us here for a conversation today on AOA. Take a look at the market trade. All right, coming up next, we're going to dive into what's going on with the weather here, not only in the U.S., but in South America. I'm looking at a few clipper systems here in the U.S. Uh, this week, but then South America, we are looking at uh, what's happening with rainfall in Brazil. That's a big question right now. John Baranek, DTN Meteorologist, joins us next on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, power to perform. Back with more right after this. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home? and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help, then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect and may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We go through safety training and try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. The YMCA is just a starting line. For the true self blooms only when we find our purpose, what makes us tick below the surface. My why is diversity in unity, a safe space in my community, living with sincerity, giving every day my everything. With my why, I stand strong, seen and supported all along. It's a million faces in a mirror and everyone belongs. Find your why. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us. A promise is potent born of intention, fueled by commitment. It's seeing things through, always showing up. And we know a thing or two about promises here at Susan G. Komen. Over 40 years ago, we locked arms with you toward one vision, a world without breast cancer. By investing in life-saving research and standing up for patient rights, we are shifting the system so all people everywhere get the care they deserve. Because if you've just been diagnosed and don't know where to turn, We've got you. If you can't afford the treatment you need, we've got you. And if you are driven to raise money to honor the best friend you've just lost, we have a place for you here because of you. We're supporting those who need help today while tirelessly searching for tomorrow's cures. Ending breast cancer needs all of us. Visit Komen.org and be a part of the Susan G. Komen community today.
Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Cenex has those everyday products that are powered locally. Find your nearest Cenex location right around the corner, or you can also find it online at Cenex.com. Well, let's take a look at what's going on with weather here, not only in the U.S., but South America. Want to get some updates on what's happening in Brazil and Argentina, but also want to focus in on what the outlook looks like here in the U.S. as we get into the first full week of December. Joining us now, DTN meteorologist John Baranek is with us. John, good to catch up with you again here this week. Thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, absolutely, Jesse. Uh, it's it's going to be a, a a really warm week, honestly. I mean, yeah. outside of some folks on the East Coast, uh, the next couple of days that might get uh, a little bit cooler due to a, a clipper that's that's moving through the uh, the Northern Plains today, the Midwest tomorrow. Um, doesn't really bring cold air to to our our neck of the woods up here. Uh, you know, I'm in Minnesota, and it's going to be you know 10 degrees above normal even with this clipper mm-hmm. moving through. So it's it's not really a it's not really a, a big you know, deal. Um, but you know, after that, you know, mid to late week here, we're going to get a huge boost in temperatures. Um, we've, we've got, you know, temperatures getting up to maybe 60 degrees in South Dakota, forties and fifties all the way up to the Canadian border. I mean, it's, it's going to be a a really warm couple of days. Um, and it's, it's not going to feel like December, you know, we're six weeks away from the coldest week of the year statistically. So it's, I mean, we should be dealing with, you know, temperatures way below where we're going to see them this week. We're going to be about 10, maybe 20 degrees above normal in some areas. I'm curious, John, is this a result of this El Nino pattern happening? Or is this kind of a, an anomaly that we're seeing temperatures like this here as we get into the first week of December? You know, we always get some sort of warm up during the month. Um, usually it's not to this extreme, though, and that's mostly due to El Nino. Uh, it doesn't really matter what type of El Nino we're in. If it's a weak one, if it's a strong one, if it's more in the central Pacific or the Eastern Pacific, it doesn't seem to matter. It always just plays out that December is a warm month, uh, during El Nino. And so, you know, getting, you know, a few days here where we're kind of significantly above normal, uh, should be pretty, pretty, pretty well, uh, expected, um, mm-hmm. During these conditions, so you know it's it's nice to see. Uh, the The bigger thing um, really is when systems go by, and typically we get a cool down uh, behind those systems. We don't have any cold air to to really pull in for these systems. So you know we do have a, a cold front that'll be moving through the country here Friday through the weekend. Um, models are are developing a, a low pressure center on it. It depends on what model you look at and at what time. So they're they're still trying to figure it out. Um, but it looks like somewhere from the south central U.S. up through the Midwest, looks like we'll have a system developing along that front, bringing some scattered precipitation, maybe some heavier spots uh, in some areas. Um, but, you know, the temperatures that come in behind that are still mild for this time of year. Uh, usually when we get a big system like this, it brings down some some below normal air. We're not seeing it. Uh, all that polar cold air is on the other side of the globe right now, and they can have it. Uh, you know, Asia and, and, and Europe, the, the Europeans and, and, and the Russians can have the cold air. Uh, we'll stick with the with the mild air for once. John, with the clippers that are working through early this week and then that potential of that larger system this weekend, uh, are, are we seeing much in the way 
of snow as part of that precipitation. I was looking at the radar early Monday morning, and it looked like some snow showing up, but I wonder how much of that's actually really making it to the ground across the northern plains. And then that second part uh, with that more weekend system as we're looking at the models, is it looking more rain, more snow? Can you give us uh, any indication of that as we head towards the weekend? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're right. The, the it, it, There is a little bit of snow going through the Dakotas right now. Um, it's a little bit worse on radar than it is at the ground. Uh, not a whole lot of that is hitting the ground. Um, but that weekend system is going to be important. So, I, you know, I did mention there's not a whole lot of cold air, but, you know, we got to remember that we're in December. So it doesn't take a whole lot of, you know, even mild air this time of year is cold enough for snow. And we are looking at potential here for a big stripe of snow across the Midwest at some point. Again, I, uh, models don't really know what to do with the system quite yet. And every time you look at it, it looks a little bit different, whether or not it's going to be, oh, yeah, maybe some moderate, like a stripe of moderate snow across the eastern Midwest. Or, no, it's going to be a big heavy band of, you know, 10 to 12 inches across, you know, the, the Mississippi Valley. We're not exactly sure um, what's going to happen with it yet. We'll have to keep on watching it. But there is potential here for, for some significant snow. The good news is that if, if, if you do get the snow, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's warmer air moving in behind it and, um, you know, it's not going to stick around for very long. It, it should be melting pretty quickly. Um, you know, it, if it does end up being, you know, near a foot of snow, it takes a, it takes a while to melt that off. But, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as far as it staying on the ground for a long period of time, probably not. We are talking with DTN meteorologist John Baranek here on AOA today. John, let's move to South America, Brazil. Uh, looks like we saw some scattered showers in central Brazil over the weekend, but also got some in southern Brazil where they don't need more rain. So what's the latest you're seeing in, in terms of uh, the rain shower activity across Brazil? Yeah, and we're in a pretty typical El Nino look here for uh brazil for south america you know we already talked about how we're we're kind of in that pattern up here in north america it's same down there as well so i mean during during el nino they they still have these scattered showers across central brazil that's that's a daily thing uh during their summer you know our winters their summer uh anyway so um you know that's pretty typical what we usually see is lower coverage ends in some areas um, uh, and so we, we are looking at some lower coverage this week at times. Um, we're going to get a couple of, of, of fronts to move in that'll help enhance that at, at some periods too. So what's to say is that in central Brazil, they're getting rain and, um, it's, it's looking good for them and, and their soybeans. I know we were really concerned about them, uh, earlier this season, uh, when they had those really hot and dry stretches, the rains have come in and, and they've come in kind of what we would like to see for them. Um, you know, it may be below normal in terms of, of amounts, but you know, when they're getting, you know, six, 10 inches of rainfall a month, you know, be below normal, even half the rain is good enough to produce soybeans. So um, they're getting it and it's, and it's going pretty good. And like you mentioned, Southern Brazil's seen too much rain. They got a decent break last week and that was, that was kind of nice for them because uh, they have gotten upwards of, you know, 80 to hundred inches of rain over the last couple of months. And so they needed some time to dry out. Fortunately for them, they came back in over the weekend, and it looks like it's going to be um, in place for most of this week as well. So they still have issues down there in southern Brazil. It's really – oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, uh, to your point, uh, still have issues in southern Brazil. Uh, but, but looking across uh, that country, you know – I think there's a, a little, maybe a little uncertainty from some folks here in the U.S., just especially central Brazil, uh, as far as 
you know, how dire the situation is or isn't maybe John, is that a good way to put it? Yeah. And it's, and it's really hard to tell because those early stresses were significant and we saw all sorts of stuff on social media, about you know, soybeans drying up and, uh, farmers down there replanting soybeans or completely abandoning it, uh, in favor of, a their typical Safrina cotton or corn crop. Um, and we don't really have, I don't think, good numbers on how many producers down there actually did that or if they just waited for rain to come, which it did. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I mean, when you look at social uh, right now, it's some of those areas that were super dry and the soybeans look like garbage, all of a sudden they look, they look fantastic. So um, it's really hard to say what's actually going down there in Brazil. And, you know, we keep getting estimates out from either private companies that are, that are cutting it. We'll see what the USDA does on Friday with their, uh, with their WASD report. Um, but you know, it, I think it's, it's really tough to really gauge, um, you know, what actually has been going on. Uh, producers down there had to make decisions whether or not they were going to replant, whether they were going to abandon crop, um, or, or, or what they were going to do. So, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's really important to kind of keep our ears to the ground and see how many of those producers actually switch their plans mm -hmm. and how many actually had significant damage that they didn't recover from when the rains came in. John, we got about a minute. Quick notes on Argentina as well. Looked like some scattered showers have been moving through that country here the last couple of days. And Argentina is in almost the perfect spot. I mean, it's not great. It's not 100%. It's not like, um, you know, they're going to be busting bins at this point. But, you know, the rains are coming at a, at a frequent pace. And they're coming with enough intensity where things look really darn, really pretty good down there in in, uh, in Argentina. So they've got uh, another several waves of showers moving through this week and weekend. And uh, things are looking good down there. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, if they continue on this track here in Argentina... Uh, they may have better than expected yields uh, down there in Argentina. And can that make up for some potential losses in Brazil? I think that's a huge question. It is a question that we're going to keep our eyes on closely, and we do appreciate uh, the time and the details on the weather. John Baranek, DTN Meteorologist, thanks for joining us today on AOA. John, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on, Jesse. Always good to talk to you. All right, that's John Baranek with DTN. Coming up next, we're going to talk about farm income levels and interest rates and more. David Widmar with Agricultural Economic Insights. He joins us on the way next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Back with more on the way right after this. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that 
medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Wheat prices have continued to find a bit of support from short covering and end user buying on signs of a possible bottom on the charts, while corn and soybean prices were under pressure overnight from the fears that USDA will reinforce the concept of ample supplies when it updates its monthly WASD crop report on Friday. That end-user buying in wheat includes China, which purchased another 16.2 million bushels of U.S. soft red winter wheat overnight, on top of its other recent U.S. wheat purchases. Now, none of the recent export demand turns the supply and demand tables bullish, but when combined with stabilizing black sea prices, that's making fund managers holding big short positions consider the possibility that we may have carved out a bottom in the market. Soybean prices did break below areas of chart support to double-digit losses overnight, following good rains in key crop areas of both Argentina and Brazil over the weekend. A quarter of the grain belt missed out on the rains in Argentina, but widespread relief is expected in the 6-15 day period. However, we have heard those promises before. Roughly a third of Brazil's soybean belt does remain under stress, focused primarily on areas of center-west and northeast Brazil. Showers will remain widely scattered in these areas for much of this week, with heat expanding Wednesday to Friday before we see an increase in relief in the 11 to 15 day period. Now the 16 to 30 day period continues to show an improving pattern as well, although confidence is weak at this point considering the poor performance of showers moving forward in the models so far this growing season. That said, soybean traders are disheartened by a series of local private estimates calling for record to near record production this year. That's despite the adverse weather pattern. The VIX continues to trade near 13 again this morning, while the dollar index is firming up, and crude oil prices are about 1% lower on demand concerns. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this Market Update. As veterans, we're no strangers to helping others. It's what we were taught, trained, and told to do. It could be for anything. Helping a friend move. Listening to a fellow veteran for hours, at any hour of the day. Or just simply making time for people, a neighbor, a loved one, or even a stranger. We're often the first to help others. There's no question about it. But we do have one question for the veterans listening. When is the last time you reached out for help? Perhaps it's time to do for yourself what you would do for others. If you or someone you know needs resources, whether it's for stress, finances, employment, or mental health, don't wait. Reach out. Find more information at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. The program today brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation powered to perform. 
Well, joining us now, we're going to talk about farm income along with interest rates and some different things that are driving the markets and the ag sector as a whole. Joining us, David Widmar, economist with Agricultural Economic Insights. And David, it's always great to sit down and have a conversation with you, my friend. Thanks for joining us today. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Thanks, Jesse. Happy to join you again this week. Let's uh, let's start with far, net farm income. I know you guys have been doing some work on that at AEI, and uh, really curious your thoughts here and some of the work you've been looking at. Uh, talk to me, just where do things stand right now? Is that net farm income picture does it look good right now? What are we what are we seeing? Uh, it's been the best of times, but not everywhere. I guess is the best way to summarize that. You know, we've talked about this before. Net farm income in 2022 was. A new all-time high farm incomes from 21, 22, and 23, if you average those three years together, it's the best three-year run that we've seen since the 1940s. I mean, in context, it's better than we saw in 2011, 12, and 13, the previous high watermark for most of our memories. But what we did is we looked at the state-level story, and it's important to keep in mind that the state-level uh data are heavily influenced by the commodities grown in those specific uh, regions or areas. And so one of the things we looked at is, you know, where have farm incomes gone up the most? And not a surprise to uh, most listeners, it's been primarily in the Corn Belt and in the northern Great Plains. There's only one state that doesn't have higher income in 2022 compared to the 2016-2020 baseline, and that's the state of Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we looked at, you know, how do 2022 state level incomes compared to historic uh, context. And so what we can see is that, again, a lot of records have been set in the Great Plains, Northern Great Plains, such as South Dakota, Iowa, Illinois, Ohio, Kentucky. Uh, Some of the records actually from the 2012 era, so Michigan, Indiana, Nebraska, have some lingering records. But then there's a whole other set of records from the southern Great Plains and and extreme north part of the country Mm -hmm. uh, from the 1970s. So, again, the takeaway here, it's been a really good time in agriculture, just not for every region or every commodity. So... I'm going to follow that up with interest rates. How much are the high interest rates that we're seeing right now in this interest rate inflationary environment? How much is that playing into some of the net farm income numbers right now, David? Can you expand upon that for us? Yeah. So the most recent net farm income data comes from 2022. And that's, of course, when the Fed started raising rates. And these farm level rates really didn't start to get higher until the 2023 uh, planting season and growing season. And so we've seen a sharp into uptick from there. That's going to be a headwind. Unfortunately, we won't get those 2023 state level data until next winter or next fall. So we've got mm-hmm. to keep an eye on that. We've seen interest expense tick up sharply when it comes to uh, the national data, but we haven't seen it at the state level yet. Okay. So with interest rates there moving forward, are you worried about them having a big negative effect on net farm income moving forward? I guess, what's your take on on the current environment here? I know we got a Fed meeting coming up here again in a couple of weeks, wondering if they're going to start to cut what they're going to do. What's your take on this interest rate environment as a whole right now? We have two primary concerns right now in the interest rate environment. When we think about the farm economy, we were just talking about, we've seen a sharp uptick. And that's because 
farm loan interest rates, like everything in the economy, those new loans are coming at a considerably higher interest rates than we've been used to. Um, now, the other thing that happens here is in agriculture, we have some debt that there's new debt, but then there's also debt that gets paid off and gets uh, reissued. So if we have a farm that we paid off, we might go on and add new debt. So it's hard to understand how much of this debt is sort of getting is, is truly new versus how much of it is kind of being reissued at higher levels. So the takeaway there is we believe that uh, farm level interest rates and expenses are going to uptick faster than it might initially seem. Now, a lot of the debt is long term, so it's going to take some years for some years for that to, to roll through. But we're going to see the expense continue higher. The second piece here that we're really concerned about is long term interest rates continue to go higher. So the Fed hasn't raised uh, rates but one time since January or excuse me, since June. But long term interest rates have gone up more than 150 basis points, thinking about the 10-year treasury. So on the short-term rates, we've seen the 25 basis point increase in the last six months, long-term 150. Uh, we anticipate some of these long-term loans, such as machinery or land, farmland, to continue to face higher interest rates in the months and all the way into 2024. So despite the Fed sort of taking a break the last six months, long-term interest rates still have upward momentum and they've been moving higher. And that I think is going to have a lot of headwind for the farm economy moving ahead. I think a lot of those conversations here, if they haven't happened already during the month of December between farmers and ranchers and their ag bankers could be some tough conversations out there the next couple of weeks ahead, David. Yeah. I think it's really important for producers. You know, the fed meetings get a whole lot of attention, but for the farm economy, it's the long-term rates that are most consequential. Keep in mind that we have this inverted yield curve. What's an inverted yield curve? That's when short-term rates are at a higher level than long-term rates. That inverted yield curve started when the Fed started to raise rates. So that was a bit of a shelter uh, or a shield. And so long-term rates haven't felt the, the upward pull as much as short-term rates. And so these long-term rates are starting to come out from underneath there and the yield curve is becoming less inverted. So uh, be prepared, be thinking about this. Uh, long-term rates have been trending higher the last several months. We are talking today with David Widmar from Agricultural Economic Insights. You can find all their great work and research at AEI.ag. David, let's talk a little more about uh, some of the things in the grains. I'll start with wheat. Wheat has been an interesting market to watch here uh, in recent days and weeks. We set some new lows and then started to rally off of it on the uh, futures board. I know um, I've been watching winter wheat planting happening and I know you're going to be keeping an eye on some of those reports that come up in January in terms of uh, how this winter wheat crop is is looking here for this year, aren't you? Yeah, there are two issues that we think are really important for the 2024 marketing year. One of them is soybeans and soybean oil, uh, domestic crushing. And the other one is wheat. And wheat isn't a very popular crop for a lot of producers, but it's very important for big parts of the country. So when we step back and look at the four decade trend has been fewer wheat acres and that doesn't happen in a vacuum these acres aren't disappearing from production they're getting converted into corn or soybeans or milo so crops that are competing with the traditional feed grains and oilseed crops uh one of the things we've seen since the 80s is about a million fewer acres of wheat every year so we've been these 
big decline. Now, that's been reversed in the last few years. We've seen an uptick in wheat acres. Uh, wheat acres are still historically low, but they're mm-hmm. off their 2020 lows. So the big question mark is, where do wheat acres go in 2024? Because it's not a one-for-one trade-off, but if you think about a million or two million acre expansion in wheat, that means fewer acres going to corn and soybean production and vice versa if we see a drop in wheat especially winter wheat that's going to result in more corn and soybeans coming into production potentially in 2024 so we got to watch that really carefully as you mentioned the usda's first estimate of winter wheat acres comes out in january mm-hmm. and that's really a first indicator of where this acreage debate for 24 is going to set up well, you mentioned soybeans, soybean crush, and I know we're still waiting to see that major expansion happen. What's some of the things you're seeing going on with that? What's some of the work and research you're doing there right now? Well, one of the things we think is really important for uh, folks to realize is we've been talking about this biofuel versus, uh, you know, biodiesel or renewable diesel versus donut oil fried food debate for the last few years. But if you really step back in the data, the amount of soybean oil, domestic soybean oil going to biofuels production, this is renewable diesel and biodiesel combined. It's been trending higher since 2016. So this data, this trend has been in the data for quite a while. It's just now coming to the forefront. And this has been a positive Demand source has been a positive source of usage. And so we're going to see how this continues to play out. But as we're sitting here in, you know, November, end of November, 1st of December, it's a key reason why this uh, price ratio is trending strongly for soybeans heading into 2024, both for the old crop we just finished up, but also that new crop we're getting ready to plant. So we'll see how domestic soybean usage, especially the crush and then the oil starts to play out. I think the other thing to keep in mind is soybean oil exports have been down. Um, Mm -hmm. The food usage of that oil has been pretty flat. So this has been the only new source of demand coming out of the oil side for several years. Well, Dave, a great thoughts. Uh, Before we wrap it up here today, anything final you'd want to add or reiterate to folks as they're just taking a look at everything here, this uh, broader farm economy and the markets and more heading into 2024? Well, I think this is a great time to not only catch up on your financials and get your taxes prepared, but to spend just a few extra minutes really thinking about what are the key insights? What did you learn here in 2023? What do you want to change for 2024? What do you want to improve? Uh, There's a lot of risk and uncertainty still out there, so we don't want to get complacent. And as, of course, as we mentioned earlier, this interest rate environment is considerably different. We haven't spent very many years in our career in a rising interest rate environment. So we need to think carefully about the implications for our business and the farm economy as we move forward. Well, I know folks can learn more at AEI.ag. And with that, David Widmar with Agricultural Economic Insights. Always great to catch up with you and have a conversation. Thanks for joining us, David. We'll talk to you again soon. Yep, talk soon. And once again, learn more online, AEI.ag. We've been talking with David Widmar from Agricultural Economic Insights. All right, coming up next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. We're going to wrap up the program, take a look at news headlines, USDA forecasting lower ag exports in fiscal year 2024. Also, more crop insurance options ahead in 2024, and the Cord Harvest Quality Report containing good news from the U.S. Grains Council. We're going to talk about those stories and more coming up here after this break. We'll be back with more on AOA right after this.
Everyone has a community to lean on. A neighborhood, school, kids' teams, where you worship, work, work out, or any other place or group where you choose to belong. Communities can provide support when you need it, and even when you don't know you do. Like when it comes to preventing underage drinking and other substance use. You've talked with your kids and shared clear expectations, but you're not with them every minute. Your community members, friends and relatives, teachers and coaches, faith leaders, and other important adults in your kids' lives can be your eyes, ears, and a supportive influence when you're not around, reinforcing your messages with your kids and alerting you to warning signs of underage drinking or other substance use. So talk with your kids about these issues and involve the members of your community to help keep your kids safe. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit talktheyhearyou.samhsa.gov. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Loss of sight won't blind our vision. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Learn more at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. 
you'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. And we're back looking at another lopsided matchup, Jim. Today we have a combine taking on a train. Yeah, that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine. No competition there. Right, especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train. That's 18 football fields. It's no contest. Every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings. See tracks, think train. This message brought to you by Operation Lifesaver. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Well, let's take a look at news headlines here before we wrap up today's program. America's agricultural exports in fiscal year 2024 are projected at $169.5 billion, down $2.5 billion from the August forecast. The drop is primarily from reductions in grain and feed, as well as livestock, poultry, and dairy exports. Wheat exports are forecast down $800 million to $6 billion on lower unit values and ongoing competition from Russia and the EU. Corn exports are forecast down $500 million to $12.8 billion because of lower unit values as abundant global supplies continue easing prices. Now, soybean exports are projected $500 million lower to $26 billion on lower exportable supplies. Livestock, poultry, and dairy exports are forecast to drop by $1.3 billion to $36.3 billion due to declines across most products. Beef and pork exports are both projected $300 million lower on tight supplies and lower demand, respectively. Now, poultry products and dairy will both drop by $200 million due to lower volumes and decreased price competitiveness. Well, the U.S. Grains Council's Corn Harvest Quality Report shows this year's crop is the largest on record to have the lowest percentage of broken corn and foreign material in history. The average aggregate quality of the representative samples tested was better than the grade factor requirements for U.S. number one grade. The report also says that 88% of the samples met the grade factor requirements for U.S. number one grade and 96% met the grade factor requirements for U.S. number two now, Brant Boydston, U.S. Grains Council chair, says, quote, the transparency this provides to buyers helps them make informed decisions and takes another step towards developing markets, enabling trade and improving lives. This crop's incredible value allows the U.S. to remain the world's leading corn exporter, accounting for an estimated 26 percent of global corn exports, end quote. Now, the report is based on 611 yellow corn samples taken from 12 of the top corn states. Well, the USDA is further expanding the opportunities for producers to consider enterprise units as risk management options. Risk management agencies expanding enterprise unit availability to additional specialty crops and other actual production history crop programs. 
Together with the six crop types announced in July for Enterprise Unit Protection, these crops may benefit from the Enterprise Units that were previously unavailable. Enterprise Units are attractive to producers due to lower premium rates offered to recognize the lower risk associated with the geographic diversification. Now, in general, the larger the Enterprise Unit, the lesser the risk and the greater the unit discount. RMA Administrator Marsha Bunger says, quote, This announcement is in response to public feedback of producers needing more options to manage their risk. It's critical that while we are examining our resources for areas of improvement, we also listen to America's agricultural producers to hear exactly what they need. Also, as we continue with a look at news headlines here on the program today, we get a look at the Farm Bill priorities for the banking sector. Bankers have their voice heard in Washington, D.C., thanks to the American Bankers Association, and they represent 83% of all banks nationwide and have agricultural loans in their portfolio. Ed Elfman, Senior Vice President of Agricultural and Rural Banking Policy for ABA, explains how he is supporting bankers and farmers with the upcoming Farm Bill. One thing we're looking at, though, is this rising interest rate environment and what that means for farmers and ranchers. So from a legislative standpoint, we have a bill called the ACRE Act, which is the Access to Credit for Our Rural Economy Act, in essence with lower interest rates by removing the taxation on farm real estate and rural housing and aquaculture, so we get a nice trifecta there. But with lower interest rates, we estimate up 50 to 150 basis points which is the biggest thing our banks are talking about right now, where interest rates are, how they matter, how it's affecting their customers. So we came up and have been working on legislation that helps that issue. The evolving conversation around lending priorities has also been shaped by ongoing shifts in the agricultural landscape. I think the biggest thing is the cost of ag continues to increase every single year. I was joking with somebody earlier, I don't think it's gone down in a long time. So when you look at the cost of ag increasing and older farm population, I guess the big things that have changed for us is how do we support our customers going forward and how do we deal with this large ag transition that's going to happen in the next few years. Every single year the age of farmers increases by more than a year. So which tells you that we're accelerating into that next generation faster than we think we are. The Farm Bill specifically its credit title remains a priority. On a priority standpoint, the credit title is our is where we spend the most time. We want to increase the FSA farm ownership and farm operating loan programs. They're currently a lot smaller than we'd like them to be. They're about two million. We want to increase them to three point five on ownership and three million on operating. Why? And it'll lead into the second thing we care about: ag costs more. It's harder to to get operations up and running. Iowa and Missouri are having contests for who can spend the most on land right now. And we're trying to set up our credit to make sure that we can help those beginning farmers especially get into ag. And Elfman says they're advocating for increased FSA loan programs and initiatives to support beginning farmers. We have a lot of issues in the structure around beginning farmer loans and how they're set up. The farm was put in a trust 20 years ago. Now there's 20 people involved in the trust. You go and try to get a beginning farmer loan, and you can't because you have to lend against the trust, and you have to ask everybody if you're okay. That's a barrier to entry, and we want to remove barriers to entry and make it easier for beginning farmers to get into ag, not harder. And once again, that is Ed Elfman, Senior Vice President of Agricultural and Rural Banking Policy with the American Bankers Association. And finally, here today on AOA, consumers want nutrition information, so the Wheat Foods Council launched a social media campaign that educates 
fitness professionals and trainers about the benefits of wheat foods in healthy diets. U.S. Wheat Associates and the WFC are both farmer-led organizations that promote the value and benefits of U.S. wheat. The new WFC campaign on Facebook and Instagram launched on November 20th. It provides evidence-based information on the nutritional and performance advantages of wheat foods. Among those advantages is how wheat foods serve as a reliable and efficient source of energy. The campaign also helps dispel myths about wheat foods and fosters a deep understanding of the positive impact they have on performance and well-being. WFC President Tim O'Connor says, quote, by harnessing the power of social media, the campaign creates a dialogue, encourages knowledge sharing, and inspires a shift in how the fitness industry views wheat foods in a healthy lifestyle, end quote. Well, that's a look at news headlines here today on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, power to perform. Coming up tomorrow on the show, we'll talk with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. We'll look at land values with Paul Shadegg from Farmers National Company, and Brett Kenzie with RCAF will join us as well. We're out of time. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to AOA. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. This is Ernie Johnson, Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill, or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. Kids across America are going to school hungry. Millions of kids every day. Hungry kids get sick more often and can struggle in school. It can be harder for them to focus and learn. But one simple thing can help change all of this for a hungry child in America. Good healthy food and the energy it brings. With help from caring people across America, no Kid Hungry is providing healthy meals and hope to hungry kids so they can build better futures. We want to ensure that all of our kids have healthy meals every day. Thank you. Thank you for helping feed our kids. To learn more about ending child hunger in America, go to helpnokidhungry.org today.